Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following is a conversation between me and my friend Barry Lieberman that took place in November of 2019 here in Australia. This conversation was the first in a podcast series we have planned called Refuge with Barry and Catherine, which will be launched later in the year on its own channel. And you will be getting an early preview of this herewith on the In the Deep channel. I also wanted to mention that for the next few months, I won't be posting sessions of Dharma Dialogues as I have a few other events scheduled, but I'll get back to Dharma Dialogues in June. Meanwhile, I plan to post regular podcasts of conversations with friends. Now, as I consider you, the listeners, my friends, I invite you to send questions to me by email and I'll answer them in an upcoming podcast, which will be a new form of Dharma Dialogues. Here is my conversation with Barry. Our subject is acceptance. Very excited to have our very first podcast recording together uh, for our new podcast, Refuge with Barry and Catherine. I'm Catherine Ingram. And I'm Barry Lieberman. And we have been in discussion for some time about our moment our evolutionary moment, as is the current cover of Dumbo Feather, the journal that Barry has founded here in Australia. Um, but we've been talking about all the different points of consideration of our evolutionary moment, having to do with the climate crisis, of course, and all the other challenges we now face in our time. And we're offering this podcast as an exploration, not with solutions and final answers of any sort, but that we have found it beneficial to be in conversation about things that can be terrifying or finding ways, our own, you know, handy ways of being calm through things that are really, really hard. And a great emphasis on community, which we're both very focused on in our own personal lives. So we're wanting to have our conversation. Maybe you feel like you could be uh, listening in on a conversation, but we also are very happy for you to weigh in on this conversation so you'll be able to email us both. Yeah, this is a, a conversation between friends, both of us immersed in this moment in history and the part that we have to play to live meaningful lives with climate and social collapse around us. And I just want to acknowledge that it's raining outside right now, which is joyous and the birds are singing, which feels incredibly relevant to our first episode of this podcast series. We've been waiting for rain. The earth has been waiting for rain up here in New South Wales on the coast. We live in Byron Bay and what was a subtropical landscape is shifting rapidly. There hasn't been rain in months and instead we've had bushfires and air filled with smoke. Yet here we are uh, together. And it's raining. And it's raining. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. We called the podcast Refuge because that's something we can find together 
and inside of ourselves. So this is, as Catherine said, not about answers, but about meandering through what's coming up for us globally, locally, and in our hearts to see what we can find together, what refuge we can find together. Yes, yes. beautiful. Yeah. I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of Dumbo Feather magazine and I'm also one of the founders of Small Giants, an impact investing firm and family business. We use all forms of capital to invest in the world our hearts know is possible, a world we would feel proud to leave our children. So there's quite a lot of work to do on that front. (laughs) And you've done so much work already all over the world. And you're in conversation with people who are doing, who are who really do care very deeply and are u- using their wealth and their resources for yes. the greater good. It's about um, viewing all capital as equal as we move into the next decades where we're going to have to reassess what is value in society and on this planet. Yeah. And we need to bring the things that we value to the centre. So Small Giants is really like what all businesses should be, an expression of your highest self and your best self or this part of yourself that you're longing to express. Mm -hmm. Um, Business can be a force for good in the world. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're going to be talking about these kinds of things and many, many more. And we have thought that today we would talk about acceptance. Now, that may seem like we've jumped to the end point, but we're going to need that throughout all of our conversations. And and we're not claiming f- we're f- fully there either, that we're fully in some sort of acceptance of what's going on, because what we're challenged with in our time is having to accept the unacceptable to a tender human heart, there's parts of it that are just, you know, you just want to scream no. And, um, and yet no in the face of any kind of reality just hurts more because reality always wins. <laughs> so, And so. also just to say that as we explore reality, we do want to have a conversation about acceptance while also holding possibilities. Yes. And I'm Catherine Ingram. Um, I come to this after many, uh, many long years and decades of being interested in um, the social and environmental issues of our time. Um, and that combined with a long Dharma study, starting when I was 19 years old, um, eventually along the way after being immersed in Dharma practice and arranging retreats for my teachers and doing long time uh, retreats myself, I started asking myself, how does this help other people? It's all fine for us to be nice and chilled out and happy, but how does it help in the world? <clears throat> so I started um, focusing in journalism I thought to myself, I want to talk to people who really combine those two streams of awareness, of consciousness and of activism and of caring about the world. Um, so I sought out the leaders of, of my time, especially. It goes back to the 80s when I began doing this. 
um, of people who really combined those two ways of understanding and of being. I've also written three books, um, and most recently, the thing that's been the most read of anything I've written is a long-form essay called Facing Extinction. And I wrote it after being immersed in climate study for the past 10 years. And, of course, whether one thinks about it as our own extinction, which is debatable because we do have possibilities, but what we are facing is a lot of extinction in general of the other creatures. And so we're facing extinction one way or another. And so I wrote an essay. It's been now downloaded from my site about 300,000 times, and it's also been downloaded a lot. I don't know the numbers from the Huffington Post site and from elsewhere, all these blogs that are putting it up. So I'm guessing it's close to a million downloads by now. So this has created a lot of, of course, conversation. People write to me from all over the world. Beautiful, beautiful letters. in all of the sort of the whole spectrum of from acceptance, some people are basically just au fait in a way with full acceptance, and some are struggling with that but still kind of lean to thinking that's how it's going to go. And there are many people along the way who feel, well, yes, this is a, this is a possibility and maybe we should start at least letting the heart let it in as an idea. About 26 years ago, I began leading sessions myself called Dharma Dialogues and in conjunction with silent retreats. The Dharma Dialogues are almost a fishing expedition for the silent retreats because it's really in the silent retreats that people get a taste, a really strong, habitual taste of how it would be to just live with a lot more simplicity of heart and of mind such that they spend a lot more time in present awareness and in their senses and in gratitude. And that doesn't mean they become dysfunctional. It means they become much more highly functional in whatever they're doing. But knowing basically how to keep one's own system properly tuned up and how to keep your mind clear. So that has been my journey. That's, that's what I offer in my, in my general work of retreats and Dharma dialogues. Um, and I also do a podcast I've been doing for five years called In the Deep. Um, and now we're doing this wonderful podcast. This conversation's important for me because I'm a mother of three young children. So acceptance for me looks different than it would for other people. I think all of us are going to have to take in acceptance in different ways. And I'm moving through my journey of what it means to grieve a world that seemed absolute, that no matter what, the world would carry on abundant, rich and giving for my children and my grandchildren. So... The more I face the climate reality and also the social reality that they're obviously correlative, the political situation we're in around the world seems to be tied to an old guard that is holding power and agency and those of us who look at the life that will come after we're gone and care so much about it. So acceptance for me 
must also hold the space of possibility for what we can dream together mm. to create for the future. I want to lean into the future dreaming for our children. Yeah. Yes. So I think one of the interesting parts of this conversation we're having is that I probably have a, I'm at a different point on the spectrum in that I, I don't see, I don't see things in, on our current stage that are going to divert our course in time. But I'm definitely open. I would be very happy <laughs> to have that be the case that something heretofore unknown or some kind of movement or some kind of technology even that could slow things down to give us time to regroup. I am definitely allowing for that. I just don't see it at the moment. So my, my tendency, my my psychological tendencies, for whatever reason, my conditioning, I am much more um, aligned with the reality I see on the ground. I'm not as good at sort of dreaming the future or dreaming pictures that might be more hopeful. Probably a lot to do with that being a dangerous thing in my childhood to do. So I would have to just stay with, this is hard and how am I going to get through this, you know. Um, so I think it's kind of, well, it's good, I think, that we, we in a way, we sit at two different points of the spectrum, although we're incredibly aligned in most of everything we talk about. But I think we'll have something for everyone in this conversation, you know, that, yeah. as I said, about the kinds of letters I get, I get a full spectrum of people saying, yes, but there's, you know, we can't, we can't just say it's over. We can't just say we're going to go extinct and those who say that we are. Mm. So we've got that, we've got that range covered. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward so much to our conversations across all the issues. As you said, we won't arrive at any truths, but yeah, I'm a dreamer and a creator. Mm. Yes, you are. Yes. And I, I don't see acceptance as fait accompli. Mm-hmm. I see it as telling the truth of this moment. Yes. And how does accepting the reality of this moment metabolise in each of us individually and then collectively to allow us the honesty and integrity mm-hmm. to dream forward? Yes, and that's beautiful. Um, I think when I think about acceptance at the moment we're in, it's acceptance of what we already know is happening. Like, for instance, my girlfriend told me on the phone this morning that she just saw an image of a python curled around a burning tree on fire, you know. And I've been aware of all the little creatures that have died here in just this last six weeks. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands, almost wiping out the koala population. And... So it's, these things are so painful to even let into your awareness. We flee from them. But as we know, when we're sitting in houses that are smoke-filled, it's very hard to go into any kind of denial or shoving it aside. And so I think for me, the acceptance I work with a lot is, 
is what is actually happening on the ground now and the destruction that we're watching on the planet. So I think both are allowed, of course, and, and are part of the conversation. But for me, because it's painful to watch, I really have to double down on finding a whisper, at least, of, okay, this is happening. Because I know that if I collapse and I get angry and I get agitated, for me, my system doesn't get energized by that. It gets, it gets drained, it gets innervated. And um, so I, I just know, working with my own system, I have to find some way to stay buoyant and to say, yes, this is horrible, you know, it's awful. And to cry, like I saw a picture of a koala and <laughs> I just started crying. Um, and and as we've discussed before, I'm the grandchild of Holocaust survivors, yeah. and I grew up surrounded by survivors. Yes, and they were in life. Yeah, and they had been in the darkest place humanity could have imagined up to that point. Yeah. and the fires went through literally burned people and they came out of the ashes and they had families and they built a new world for themselves and their communities and the countries that they then belonged to. And I grew up in the rebirth and the festive, joyous, grabbing and holding at life, the honouring of life in new birth, new ideas, working hard for a future not, that has never been certain. Yeah, right, right. And certainly not on any individual level. I mean, no. We've always been living with the threat of annihilation, each one of us individually. Right. And so I think we agree that there is courage and fortitude from acceptance and telling the truth. Yes. And for me, it's definitely not a given what the pathway is from there. I think that's a co-created pathway. Yes, yes. And we wanted to take everyone through ways of regulating our nervous system. So each episode will begin with a meditation and then we'll begin our conversation from a place of restoration and repair and renewal. Yes. So we're just going to take a few minutes for a simple guided meditation. And to begin, just breathe gently. You might be hearing the birds. Noticing quality of the temperature in whatever room you're in. And let yourself come to a very deep rest. A deep stillness, a deep quiet.
And without any straining, and no worry if this doesn't come easily, if there's something in your immediate life that you're feeling great resistance to, something you greatly dislike, you wish it weren't so, let it arise very gently in your awareness and see if you can feel the space around that thought or that feeling. Just another phenomenon floating in the universe. And see if it's possible for the word okay to float up into this picture. No need to force it, but just see if you can take a breath and say, okay, that too. Here it is. Don't have to like it. Some kind of gentle allowing that it's so. Now you may think of something a bit larger, something that affects more people, something that's very hard, very difficult, something that you wish were not so. Feel the space around it, the vast regions of space. See if you can come to, okay, it's happening.
We're exploring forms of acceptance, great and small. So sometime when you're in the middle of the no, the inner scream, the panic, Let yourself feel the space around the situation. Let yourself whisper, okay. leave your meditations. <laughs> it feels worth mentioning that we we became good friends after I did one of your silent retreats, the first and only one I've ever done. And um, my complete shock at the depth of the restoration of the cells going to that level of quiet yeah. For days, yeah. five days it was, eating in silence, moving in silence, lots of rest, actual sleep and quiet and my joy and grief at recognising the aliveness of the world. Yeah. We yes. had no phones, no technology, only yeah. books and gentle books, nothing kind of stirring yeah. And it was so shocking to me that we do all these things to regain our footing internally with the rush of our lives and we forgot that the mother is holding us yeah. all this time, Mother Earth, and that we have that resource if we know where to find it. Yes. Yeah, always downstream from the push. It's always downstream into the rest, into the quiet. And it's so helpful having done a retreat, as you know probably, <laughs> that it, it creates an entrainment so that you can visit in many moments of your life and in moments of stress and in moments of busyness and hubbub and all those things. It, mm. I always say it becomes a haunting and, you know, it's like you, you find these moments of craziness and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> ah, rest. <laughs> yeah, the birds outside the window or yeah, exactly noticing where your attention is drawn, which feels incredibly potent. It sounds like this very soft skill, but it's incredibly potent as the situation around us increases. Yeah. In intensity. Yeah. Particularly with regards to the fires around us. So I was thinking about acceptance and what it meant to me with regards to the climate crisis, the climate emergency, all this language around a sudden urgent understanding that the conditions are changing and we have no control. And I think my 
big shock moment, even though I could feel the rumblings for years, was Jem Bendel's Deep Adaptation paper. And my husband, Danny, and I read it and went into a dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. for weeks. Mm -hmm. It was like everyone was having lattes and a lovely time and no one noticed the ship was going down. Yeah. And you felt like your voice was too small even if you screamed at the top of your lungs. Plus nobody wanted to hear it in those moments either, did they? Yeah. It wasn't long ago. I'm talking six, seven, eight months months ago. And it feels like the world has changed in that time. Yeah, certainly where we live, uh, you know. And just for our listeners, as Barry said, we're in New South Wales. But if if you don't know, our entire east coast of Australia has been on fire for nearly two months and the fires are not out. Some of them are not even under control. And there's 2.2 million hectares on fire, which is 9,000 square miles. So that is the context in which we're having this conversation. And it has been quite a wake up to a lot of people in this country. Yeah. I interrupted you. No, I, I, you know, the image that was with me as I went into the meditation was of the python wrapped around the burning tree it's such a almost archetypal image yes and in my now eight months down the road journey of acceptance of this reality I've gone through so many permutations of grief complete depression like just not able to even know how we how to move like how do you get up out of bed like what how do we do this? What, what's the we? Where are the we? Given that the social fragmentation of our communal agreements is so great at the exact same moment as we need each other. Yes, absolutely. In our social media bubbles, we find the truth we want. And it's so dangerous and harrowing because we really, really need to come to a set of agreements together. And so the python wrapped around the burning tree, what a divine image of faith that python had Mm -hmm. in the tree, Mm -hmm. a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And also what a symbol, a burning flag for us, like the monks bursting into flames in the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. to say stop now, hear, see, know, and face what is happening, the violence that we are doing to the world and to ourselves. And so I feel horrified and disappointed in Trump and Bolsonaro, those manifestations of leadership. They come from somewhere in us Mm -hmm. that doesn't want to speak or know or face the truth that we might need to adjust the way we exist on this planet And I can't help but hope that the proximity to this incineration of species, this death that we are experiencing here in New South Wales, in Byron Bay, this famous holiday destination where movie stars live, you know, can the python wrapped around the tree burning wake us up and bring us to our potential because I don't, I, I really, I see this as, a, as an opportunity, this moment. Yes. I know it's harrowing mm-hmm. 
and it takes a huge amount of emotional fortitude to hold both these things to be possible, death and possibility. But the Chinese symbol for crisis is the symbol for opportunity. Yes. So it's ancient, it's older than us. And I just think we've been really, really comfortable for two generations. Well, that's one of the things that I um, often speak about in my sessions, that a lot of the panic that we're feeling, it's because we are so used to a level and a standard and an expectation of life and of longevity and of abundance that is very now very confrontive for us when we were, we're... we're spoiled, you know, it's like we're, we're just used to so much. And it's shocking to think that we won't keep being able to live the way that we're living. And so... And yet the way that we were living was founded on waste. Yes, of course. And much of the world never got to live like this. Yes. And so for them, they have been living a more stripped down life already for so long that, I mean, a lot of people are saying they're actually in the best position to ride this out a lot because they're used to it and they know how to live on the ground and grow food and be resourceful and be resourceful and live with very little and, and so on. So, you know, part of our stress, I would say, is... How, what a great run we've had, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, what a fabulous party we've been having. And so that's, that's a lot. I notice it in myself. I notice that that's part of like my, my being confronted about not having my comforts, you know, not being able to just turn on the tap and have water and all those things that these are pictures that arise in our minds, um, especially because here we've been in an area that's challenged with drought and they're talking about water restrictions of all sorts they're already implementing them and so on so I mean I'm happy for that believe me I'm thrilled and they should have been doing it already but um I wanted to read something to this point it's from it's from a a world-renowned musician in one of the European symphonies um who wrote to me after reading my essay um This is just a a little excerpt from it. Love is the answer. Living each day in full awareness of the gift of life, the sweetness of feeling feelings, the sound of my wife breathing as she sleeps soundly next to me, unburdened by her consciousness of loss. We have recently traveled the citadels of travesty, giving concerts in L.A. and Las Vegas, but also witnessing Driving parallel to the L.A. aqueduct gave me a chance to ponder the thin, watery lifeline that flows from the Colorado River nearly 300 miles distant. What idiocy. As a musician, I have been impacted by being awake to our crisis. Every tone of Brahms, Beethoven, Mahler is a remnant of a world that, if not disappeared, is threatened with extinction. I mean not just his walks in the hills around Vienna, but the human world of Beethoven, or name some other composer. His eyes saw a purity that has vanished but still lives through his creations. I dive deeper now into the meaning of his world and the sheer beauty that it reveals. Mixing our current reality with the moment of music brings me to a state of deep grief during concerts, that is almost too intense to express, but brings a catharsis for which I am grateful. 
Well, he writes beautifully. Yes, I think about that all the time, the exquisite beauty of the abundant natural world yes. that we raped and pillaged for comfort. And, and I'm not sure Instagram is comfort. No. And the iPhone. No. It's so weird. No, there's a correlation with depression with all of the social media. So we took from that beauty and we replaced it with junk. <laughs> Basically. And we ravaged the earth. So all these things are on our mind with acceptance and, and in the acceptance piece is accepting that the conditions around us are changing and we have no control. What else is a component of acceptance to you, Catherine? Well, I was just thinking as you were speaking um, that I think we have to understand that we are in a type of ecological trauma, to use a phrase that my friend Rex Weiler talks about, whereby, and, and it, it goes to what I just read, whereby those of us of a certain age have seen a different world also. We, we grew up in a different time, and we've all probably watched our own areas drastically change over the years and we've watched green areas be raised to the ground and we've watched our favorite parks and all kinds of things get compromised and not to mention that now we're watching the burning of the Amazon and things like that. So there's a certain almost a subliminal ecological trauma that we're having to live with one of the things I do with loss and I've had a lot of loss in my life is I let it be a reminder for what's still here. So I let it be a reminder, like to your point, to really see the beauty that's left, right? And maybe it's going to get really stripped down a bit. <laughs> you know, it's getting stripped down as we sit here. The burning is going on, you know. Um, so to really let myself, like, hear the bird song and... You know, before we started uh, recording today, you were saying, what is that particular bird song? <laughs> so, that's my favorite one. Oh, oh. Oh, there it is. <laughs> the berry that's, bird. The berry bird. <laughs> that's my bird impersonation. It was pro so perfect. <laughs> anyway, so. Um. <laughs> if anyone listening knows what that bird is in Australia, yeah. it's the most beautiful cooing sound. It can put you to sleep. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> Anyway, to really just double down on all that we love, I have a reason uh, my other podcast is titled Just Love What You Love. You know, really let yourself have that at least. Because we are in a time of loss and we're in a time of dying. And, um, and one could argue it was always so. Like in previous times, there were a lot of your people dying because people died more easily yes. and young. So you were surrounded by your people dying, which we've been mostly spared in our healthy, high medical, you know, societies. Um, but we are in a world of dying now. And, um, and so for me, I'm just so grateful for all the little things that are still here. And also for the people who are still here, because I've also lost a lot of people in my life, a lot of my best friends and mm. my father and, and my brother and 
so it's um, that too, that, that just by way of saying we can't take anything for granted. And, and maybe that's just the very thing that might be healed in us, that we've taken it all for granted. Yeah. And that the comfort that we've had anaesthetised us yes. so much. Yes. To all that was really precious. Yeah. Our relationships, our communities, yeah. Yeah, our we, rich natural world. We got kind of addicted to having stuff and having more and having more experiences and it just became our way of life, you know, and we were all afflicted with it because we had so many opportunities and I chased all over this world, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, um, I'm still clutching at all of that. I still am. I, I still enjoy a lot of it. And I, I, as I said before, I definitely enjoy my comforts. You mm. know, they're not as many as they used to be in terms of the need. But um, yes, but go ahead. Yeah, I just, um, you know, some days when I'm having just intense anger at the state of the world and my inability to change it on my own, <laughs> I long for oblivion the mm. oblivion of not knowing and not accepting and burn, baby, burn, you know, yeah, let me yeah. have all the things and yeah. go on all the planes and have all the holidays. And um, so I think there is a, a roller coaster of emotions yes. that acceptance of this moment means and there's a maturity in acceptance. Yes, such that in that acceptance your heart is so tenderized that you don't want to add to any of the suffering, right? Hmm. You, you get it, you see it, you know how hard it is, and that's where the real acceptance has to be, which is you have to really look at the true difficulty of it. But knowing all of that, you're so splayed open in tenderness that you don't want to be part of... of More destruction. Yeah. And that's such a nuance... It's a felt nuance that mm-hmm. I really value in our conversations. And I, I have felt that with my acceptance that this could all continue to go very, very badly and not not be a, a, a sort of uh, the analogy that Danny and I have been using is a, a car accident. We thought that we could kind of slow the car down and not hit the wall. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit the wall now. Mm-hmm. We know that. Mm-hmm. Is it at 20K, at 60 kilometres or at 100 kilometres an hour? And mm-hmm. each version of speed and velocity that we hit that wall, that ecological ceiling, what, whatever, or social ceiling, um, the wreckage will be greater yes. in each version. Yeah. And it sort of made, has made me agnostic to outcomes. Very good. Very good. Which I never thought I was spiritually mature enough (laughs) for Um, because I really love guarantees Uh and I really want to be sure of outcomes. Um, I never thought I would be kind of by the conditions around me brought to this place Mm -hmm. where I understand that the rest of my life is of service agnostic to outcomes. Yes, Beautiful. I mean, and that is going to free up so much more energy because when you have a fixation on a particular kind of outcome and if things start going off course from that outcome, 
it it creates a an internal panic. It creates a bit of depression. It creates all kinds of negative uh, feelings, which are tiring. It's and just very hard to be agnostic about outcomes, to not be driving to a definite point because we don't know well, what's I think, coming next. I think next. that it's fair to be driving to the point, right, but if that if it's clear you're not going to get to that point, right, that's the point, that's the wiggle room of acceptance that makes all the difference and actually allows you to keep breathing because, of course, it's fair to work for a goal in front of you that you see and think, okay, you know, let's create a situation where we're more resilient or let's create a situation where we can help a whole lot more people. All of that takes some assumption of a future moment but then and then to do that very freely like with the most you know open and big-heartedness possible all the while you know they used to say in old spiritual circles giving all all of your actions over to god essentially basically saying i'm doing it this is i'm doing it very impeccably and I can't control how this all turns out. So I'm not going to bother with the controlling part of how it works out. I'm just going to keep doing everything needed for it to go this way. I saw Frozen 2 last oh, night did, with my with kids, kids. Um, <laughs> which was fun. And there was this amazing moment where Anna, the one of the sisters, has lost all hope. She thinks her sister has died and given her life mm-hmm. for the truth. It's quite wonderful as a parable, and she's cowered in a dark cave and losing hope to continue. And she says, there's this thread through the film, well, when I don't know what to do, I should just do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. It's very Buddhist. Beautiful, <laughs> yes. And it's just, it was perfect. That's perfect for what we're talking about. I love that. When I don't know what to do, I'll do the next right thing. Yeah. And there's a kind of honing of your senses and your life force to think, can I live a life devoted to love in action anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the koan of our time. That is it. We have to we have to keep loving this no matter what happens. And it may get harder to love it, most likely will. But just think about if one can be just that kind of sanctuary for others, not only for yourself, which is, of course, going to be very nice for ourselves to be able to keep a sanctuary in our own self. But how great for everybody around us, you as a mother and also a mother to many, but to your own three children, and all the people we interact with, we're both highly engaged in community. Um, and then that spreads out because all those people are engaged in whatever circles they're in. And so to really know that this is, I, I've often felt, very that, like I had this weird background feeling in all these many, many years of Dharma journey that I was being prepared for something like and I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm just being prepared for my own death, right? Kind of like getting getting friendly with this program, <laughs> you know. 
Um, like one of my friends who <clears throat> died of a brain tumor, one of my very close friends, kind of my writing mentor, um, he, along the way, he was doing all these methods to try to get better. And uh, he said, I'm going to fight for my life, but I'm not going to make an enemy of my death. Hmm. He's told me that a long, long time ago, and it, it just resonated. And I feel like my, my whole life has been some way in which that, you know, has been a kind of truth that I've lived with. And I feel that for us at this time who are, who do know the quiet spaces and who do honor and value that and who do stay calm and who do avoid hatred, which is incredibly exhausting and makes you crazy inside, um, that we're, we're being prepared. We're being readied for being stable in a time that a lot of people are not going to be stable which doesn't exclude feeling all the feelings yes yes including hatred sometimes yeah. you know but i know when hatred arises in my heart i don't i mean it arises and i can't help it mm. um but i i don't give it juice i i don't i let it f- fly by <laughs> You almost have to be a mother to yourself. Yes, that's it. A part of you that has to be the sort of loving mother. I I will admit that my beautiful eldest child who's entered puberty turned to me the other day. He said, well, sometimes I just hate everyone in this family. (laughs) (laughs) And I just just looked at him with so much love. I was like, yes. (laughs) See if you can apply to get a new one. <laughs> and yeah, I could hold it for him, yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. And the world's not going to end because of your hatred. Yeah. But once again, with acceptance, it's a part of a process of metabolizing all the feelings. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in what comes through the gateway of acceptance, not resignation. Right. It, what Extinction Rebellion have been talking about from a real activist position, which is tell the truth and then act like the truth is real. Yeah, right. It's weaving in the urgency, the science, the voices telling us to wake up and reduce our emissions and that we need to do that as a global collective. And then, my, my thought is always, and then how are we being prepared? Yeah. And can we have this maturity to hold paradox? Yeah. All the time, every yes. day. Yes. The joy and love of life and the incredible grief at the snake wrapped around the burning tree. Yes. And to your point about seeing this uh, conflation of sometimes people think acceptance does mean apathy or resignation. It doesn't. What we're talking about is a full-heartedness that is willing to cry and understand very deeply, you know, deeply know that grief is going to be part of this. (laughs) And being able to say, "I, 
I'm going to keep loving the world. I'm going to keep loving my beings. I'm going to keep loving the creatures. I will add, for me, preparedness actually is a honing of your priorities Mm -hmm. that I think is really useful and good. Um, We both are part of a plan to help our community become resilient and prepare. Yes. So I've got um, a mother's group also that I belong to up here in the Shire and we've been trying to identify our intention and our purpose after the climate march where we were seeing all these children screaming at the top of of their lungs. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it now? And these were children and they were so full of fear and anxiety and all the hopes of their future screaming And all of us had this instinct that our kids shouldn't be leading the march. We should be holding the space for them and leading. Yes. And that shifts priorities around. How can we, what can we do better together that we can't do alone? Yes. And... For me, four words came out of that. I I was workshopping it with um, some other mums in the group. Accept and prepare. Yes, beautiful. I love that. Because if you, if you, the acceptance piece is first. Yes. And then we need to show our children that we are in a state of preparedness and truth talking. Yes. Yes. And how we tell the truth to ourselves first, how we metabolize that enables talking to the kids in a useful way. Yes. But when we keep pushing the truth to the edges and the corners and away from us and I don't want to read the paper and I don't want Mm -hmm. to know and I can't and I don't and I can't, Mm -hmm. a little bit right now, bad luck. Mm -hmm. Get engaged. Yeah. Face what's happening so that through us we can process the material of this time and be agents of history, not victims. Yeah. And also I think I think what you said about that process is that if we're talking to the children or whoever we're talking to who are coming into this material and this understanding, um, of course, waking up to it is very, very important when they're ready. Um, but also hearing it from people who are not in panic, who are not who are not projecting fear. Right. Not that we have to hide things about it, but it's that's another part of the, I think, the acceptance or the relationship to acceptance. It's an ongoing thing. That, you know how when a little toddler is walking across the room and falls, sometimes they look back at their mom to see, was that a bad thing that just happened hmm. to me? And if the mother looks panicked, the child will cry, cry, right? If the mother looks, oh, my God. But if the mother just seems okay, if the child seems basically didn't get hurt, the child carries on, you know. Carries on and develops resilience. Yes, yes. And we know we're kind of holding a generation that are the least resilient human beings ever. Yeah, Yeah, I know. (laughs) And so I'm starting to see the truth-telling and the preparedness as um, honouring my children. Mm -hmm. Yes. Honouring their strength and their capacity. Yes, good. To know and be held, as you said, by calm, regulated adults who are all working together to a common purpose. Yeah. So maybe this crisis is the opportunity for us to find each other again and find that elusive meaning of life where I think we're here to be of service and belong to each other Mm. and leave the world better. 
than mm-hmm. we found it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a Herculean task. But <laughs> the second part of our workshop was there's accept and prepare and then there's dream and create. Mm-hmm. And I want to be regulated enough, calm enough, able to metabolise my feelings and 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 share the horror, the grief, the sadness and the joy and the laughter and the ridiculousness of life and the yes. poetry of life. Yes. Enough that I can stay soft enough to dream on mm-hmm. and not to hand over to the gatekeepers who will find the power vacuums that are going to come in the next few decades and yeah. take over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The opportunities for us to show up where the vacuums will be created and to be ready yeah. to fill that with a different vision of how yeah. we're going to move forward. Yeah. And it might be a lot more kind of local way of life. Yes. Yeah. Another part of our our podcast we've planned uh, is that we're going to recommend things at the end of the the show. Um, And it can be anything. It can be books or music or movies or anything that we have found inspiring. So do you want to go first, Yes, I'll go first. I've been chewing on this incredible book called The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life by David Brooks. And Nat, our uh, creative producer, was noting that I have ear-tagged every second page (laughs) of this book. It really is the book of this moment for me. It's been really important um, to have. I bought it as Christmas presents for everyone I know, like a good Jewish girl. Um, (laughs) And I opened it on this amazing quote, find that place in the self that is driven to connect with others, that spot where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Mm. So I just found this book incredibly grounding. The second mountain is, of course, the first mountain is the me mountain. Okay. All about self and achievement and identity, the house, the car, the mortgage, the perfect life. And something at some point in life will knock you off that mountain Mm -hmm. and you'll be thrown into the valley, lost and alone Mm -hmm. and confused and wandering. And at some point, after wandering in that valley for a while, you'll begin to climb the second mountain, which is the wee mountain and the mountain of service and showing up mm. and community. Mm. It's like a dar- it's a Dharma book. Yeah, but it it's so easy to read and it's so juicy and wonderful and I've just kind of had it like a talisman by my bed and I haven't finished it yet but I'm halfway through and the half that I've read was such unbelievable nourishment. So that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, for those of us, uh, for those Americans who are listening, it'll be kind of a, a, a dissonance to hear that David Brooks, who we mostly have known as a kind of Republican commentator, mm. has had this whole sort of transformational journey in mm. the last few years. And he's really become very hip to the good stuff. Yeah, the life of the soul. <laughs> the life of the self and the soul and of, of connectivity and of, you know, community. And I know this will probably be another episode, but that is a case in point for regeneration. Yes, of course. That's great, yes. The human soul, the human being and 
the living ecosystems around us have the capacity to regenerate, to go from dry, dead, lifeless, violent spaces that that denude our spirits to juicy, full, alive with fresh green shoots, new ideas, new formations. The body, the soul, the planet is constantly seeking wholeness and renewal and I... I love knowing that David Brooks was like that and yeah. now he's like this. Yes, it's, I know. No, it's it, that's it's growth. incredibly um, inspiring. Mm. Yeah. What did you bring? What oh. are you telling us well, about? Well, I'm recommending Leonard Cohen's album that's just been put out called Thanks for the Dance. Mm. And it's been put out by uh, his son and it's obviously a posthumous offering because Leonard died uh, in 2016. So yeah, it's it's a work that's coming. It's good work if you can get it, having <laughs> great stuff be put out posthumously. But he, he apparently during the recording of the last album that he did before dying called You Want It Darker, they recorded a bunch of things that they didn't get to finish. So this isn't, his son made a point, this isn't the B-sides. It's not as if this is just the junk that was left over. This was stuff they wanted to get to and Leonard died. But he had recorded enough that they were able to then take what he had done and some of the songs he sang, some of them are just short poems. They're all pretty brilliant. But he had his son uh, got incredible collaborators like uh, Damien Rice and Daniel Lanois and his longtime person who's been with Leonard for many years, Javier Moss, who's this incredible, I think it's called a load. Is that the name of the instrument? A load? I don't know. Kind of sort of like a Spanish guitar sound. Anyway, the, the music is beautiful. And Leonard is Leonard. And Leonard is Leonard. And, you know, as we've been sitting here and the part we were talking about, our privilege that sort of now is a bit of a disadvantage. I was I was thinking of a stanza in that song that we just listened to before we began talking when he said, in the prison of the gifted, I was friendly with the guards, so I never had to witness what happens to the heart. And I just think that's so kind of the essence of we, we have been very buffered from a lot of difficult things. And and now we're in a time of of needing to accept a lot of things that I said, as I said at the beginning, are unacceptable to a tender heart, but we have to do it. And and knowing that we have to do it for not just ourselves, but for everybody around us, I think gives me a lot more courage to keep doing the right thing. And I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather do it with than you, Catherine. Oh, Mary, I'm so excited about what we're doing together. and just so I so love every moment we ever get to have together. And I can feel everyone who's listening to the podcast, even though we haven't even published it yet and put it out there, I can just feel the longing to be in this conversation together for whomever wants to. That showing up is peace in itself and courage and joy. This has been In the Deep. 
You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation to help with the production costs. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.